Understanding and Optimizing Tourniquet Use During Extremity Surgery by Jensen and others. Abstract Tourniquet use during extremity surgery is commonplace and a relatively safe practice. The surgical team's knowledge of the patient history, proper assessment, and indications and contraindications for and risks of tourniquet use can prevent unwanted outcomes. Exploration of these critical areas reinforces perioperative nurses' awareness and understanding of safe tourniquet use. Additionally, a review of the physiological effect of tourniquets on the skin, the body's response to local compression, the risk of vascular compromise, and the effect of the tourniquet on postoperative pain and swelling provides insight into AORN recommended practice guidelines. This article summarizes the indications and assessments for and risks of tourniquet use for patients during extremity surgery. An understanding of these topics can improve surgical outcomes and promote safe perioperative care. Pneumatic tourniquet use during extremity surgery remains commonplace. The use of pneumatic tourniquets has expanded opportunities for more complex procedures. Regardless of how frequently tourniquets are used, there is always risk involved. The entire operative team is responsible for identifying risks or contraindications during the preoperative and intraoperative phases of care to ensure that the benefits of tourniquet use outweigh the risks in every case. The AORN, Guideline for Care of Patients Undergoing Pneumatic Tourniquet-Assisted Procedures, provides directions for the safe use of pneumatic tourniquets in the perioperative setting. The guideline includes 12 recommendations. In summary, these recommendations state that the perioperative nurse's role is to assess, plan, set goals for, intervene during, monitor, and provide accurate documentation of tourniquet use. Additionally, all perioperative team members should receive education regarding the safe use of tourniquets and should participate in the quality improvement process by helping to develop appropriate policies and procedures for tourniquet use. Indications and Contraindications The surgeon's indications for tourniquet use are the aims to achieve a near-bloodless field and to limit blood loss. A near-bloodless field allows the surgeon to operate more precisely and view anatomical structures more easily. Tourniquet use can also decrease the operative time, thereby reducing overall blood loss. Preventing excessive blood loss reduces the possible need for transfusion of blood products. Use of tourniquets in surgery has several historically relative contraindications, including diabetes mellitus, hypertension, coronary artery disease, nephropathy, and sickle cell disease. Contraindications also include open injuries of the limb, wounds requiring irrigation or debridement, infection, extremity pain, a tumor in the operative limb, and chronic lymphedema. Other relative contraindications include arterial and venous diseases, such as venous insufficiency, thrombophlebitis, peripheral vascular disease, or a previous history of venous thromboembolism. These relative or absolute contraindications are in place because of the potential ischemic effect of tourniquet use on fragile or damaged soft tissues, or the potential for accentuating a hypercoagulable state. Other contraindications include patients with peripheral arterial bypass or vascular graft surgery, secondary to the added risk of irreparable damage to the bypass or graft. 
Although these contraindications are generally accepted and should be until strong evidence proves otherwise, the American College of Foot and Ankle Surgeons Clinical Consensus Statement, Perioperative Management, reports there is insufficient literature to support them. Health History and Assessment Assessments begin in the preoperative phase and conclude with a postoperative evaluation. The preoperative assessment identifies many of the disease processes that form the basis of contraindications for tourniquet use. Preoperative assessments include obtaining patients' health histories and performing physical exams. A review of baseline vital signs is prudent. The surgical team also should review a patient's home medication list, which can help identify comorbid conditions that may be contraindicated with tourniquet use. The team should review existing radiographic reports before the surgery as well. A chest radiograph can be suggestive of cardiomyopathy. An extremity-focused radiograph series can reveal vascular calcifications, disruption, or variants, possibly affecting neurovascular structures and contraindicating tourniquet use. The preoperative review should also include relevant laboratory results to detect bleeding or clotting disorders. Intraoperatively, the RN circulator works collaboratively with the anesthesia professional and the surgeon to coordinate inflation pressure, timing of inflation, tourniquet time, and deflation. Collaboration is needed to optimize patient safety. The postoperative assessment includes evaluation of the tourniquet site after deflation and patient outcomes in the postoperative recovery phase related to compression at the tourniquet site. The surgeon also may request periodic postoperative monitoring of neurovascular status of the surgical extremity. Regardless of the timing of the assessment, it should focus on the skin, the risk of local compression, and vascular compromise. Effect on skin Tourniquet use can affect skin integrity. Part of the perioperative assessment includes inspection of the patient's skin quality in the area where the tourniquet will be placed. The assessment helps identify risks associated with tourniquet use, such as the local effects of compression on the skin. Disruptions of skin integrity can include bruising, abrasions, blistering, hematoma formation, burns, or necrosis. Adverse outcomes involving the skin occur at a rate between 0.4 and 1.5%. Pooling of skin preparations, especially involving povidone iodine compounds at the distal fold or beneath a tourniquet, can cause chemical burns and other skin complications. Avoiding excessive skin preparation around the tourniquet requires careful attention. Waterproof drapes can be used to isolate the tourniquet and skin from saturation with these compounds that are used during skin preparation. Padding placed between the skin and the tourniquet can absorb excessive liquid from the skin preparation process and potentially increase the risk of complications. Although most podiatric and orthopedic surgeons use padding beneath the tourniquet, few studies have confirmed the need for padding. Two studies showed an increased risk of complications when padding was not used. Contrary to these findings, one study of 97 patients involving 50 ankle tourniquets and 47 thigh tourniquets found that no complications occurred when padding was not used. Currently, there are no level 1 or 2 studies, that is, as determined by the AORN evidence rating model, indicating whether padding should or should not be used. Therefore, Padding beneath a tourniquet continues to be used. 
Although padding can increase the risk of preparatory compounds pooling, padding or a lack of padding also can cause abrasions, bruising, or blistering because of creases in the padding or irritation from the tourniquet being applied directly on the skin. Direct skin contact with a tourniquet can cause allergic reaction if the patient has latex or other textile allergies. Although tourniquets do not always contain latex, the risk of allergic reaction should encourage the patient care team to verify the patient's allergies before the procedure. An allergic reaction can lead to anaphylactic shock within minutes of tourniquet deflation. The timing of the cardiovascular collapse is most likely linked to the systemic distribution of the antigen that occurs after releasing the tourniquet. The collapse may also be linked to the extent of the hyperemic response that occurs after deflation. Moreover, it is prudent that providers recognize a significant cross-reactivity between citrus fruits and avocados with latex allergy. Some patients may not be aware that they have a latex allergy, but perioperative personnel can discern this if the patient has a known allergy to certain foods. Risk of local compression Tissue injury can occur as a result of the compression created by the tourniquet. Clinicians generally recognize the tourniquet pressure displayed on the equipment does not accurately reflect the even distribution of pressure to the underlying tissues. No agreement exists regarding the tourniquet placement and potential damage to soft tissues. When compared with thigh tourniquets, ankle tourniquets are applied to an area with less soft tissue to pad bony and neurovascular structures. Some researchers consider the ankle tourniquet safer because there is a more even distribution of pressure across the soft tissues and there is less soft tissue to be damaged. However, the AORN, Guideline for Care of Patients Undergoing Pneumatic Tourniquet-Assisted Procedures, recommends placing the tourniquet in the area of the extremity with the most soft tissue to decrease the risk of injury to underlying nerves and vasculature. The fit of the tourniquet is likely more important than where it is placed. A good fit ensures even pressure distribution across the soft tissues, whereas gaps under the tourniquet or an irregular contour to the extremity leaves areas of higher pressure, which are more likely to cause soft tissue ischemia. Conical tourniquets often achieve a better fit on the ankle and thigh. Increased body mass index, BMI, and leg circumference have not been shown to alter pressure distribution to underlying soft tissues significantly. However, patients with obese extremities may benefit more from a wide-contoured cuff because it more often achieves the best contour to the underlying tissues, thus providing the greatest likelihood of an even distribution of pressure to soft tissues and the lowest limb occlusion pressure, LOP. Safe tourniquet use requires an understanding of correct tourniquet pressure and inflation time. Postoperative complications result from the direct effect of compression at the tourniquet site. The risks of compression-induced local soft tissue injury may arise from several factors, including advanced age, increased BMI, history of myocardial infarction, history of previous neuropraxia, muscle weakness, and neuromuscular disease. Complications from advanced age may result from the combination of diminished subcutaneous tissue and increasingly fragile vascular structures. Nerve injury is more likely to be influenced by tourniquet pressure, and muscle injury correlates with pressure and prolonged tourniquet time. Nerve injuries range from paresthesia to paralysis of the extremity. LOP 
measured by absent arterial pulses distal to the tourniquet using a Doppler, is the recommended minimal pressure for tourniquets. Providers should recognize that pressures elevated beyond LOP often are not necessary because a slightly lower tourniquet pressure can limit macrocirculation and operative technique can obtain hemostasis of the microcirculation. Using operative technique to help control microvascular blood loss instead of a higher tourniquet pressure provides a clear surgical field and helps reduce local tissue hypoxia and subsequent complications, such as dehiscence of the incision and neuromuscular compromise. In upper extremity surgery, many surgeons choose tourniquet pressures 50 to 100 millimeters of mercury above the systolic blood pressure and often use lower pressures for more distal tourniquets to avoid neurovascular injury, protecting the deeper vital structures when less subcutaneous tissue is present. The use of tourniquet pressures of 250 millimeters of mercury or less for fewer than two hours of tourniquet time seems to be safe for adult patients, including older adult patients and patients with multiple medical comorbidities. Like upper extremity surgery, lower extremity surgery also relies on lower tourniquet pressures distally. For instance, at approximately the same time that Warland and others recommended a pressure of 100 millimeters mercury above systolic blood pressure for thigh tourniquets, Massey and others recommended ankle tourniquet pressure to be set at 75 millimeters of mercury above the systolic blood pressure. Increased limb circumference usually demands that a higher pressure is required on a thigh tourniquet to obtain LOP. Typically, a pressure of no greater than 150 millimeters of mercury above systolic blood pressure is recommended for thigh tourniquets. Surveys of podiatric and orthopedic surgeons have reported the typical practice for foot and ankle surgery to be 201 to 250 millimeters of mercury and 301 to 350 millimeters of mercury for ankle and thigh tourniquets, respectively. Risk of vascular compromise. Grading a bloodless field relies on the application of a circumferential, constrictive device applied to an extremity, which produces an ischemic environment. This increases the risk of vascular compromise involving the arterial or venous system. Ischemia. Tourniquet use creates a controlled hypoxic state that can promote the aggression of fibromyelitic compounds, such as plasminogen, to break down potential clots in areas vulnerable to potential endothelial injury. The hypoxia and later reperfusion when the tourniquet is deflated also can create an environment with increased oxygen-free radicals and other highly reactive non-radical oxygen species. This deoxygenation and reperfusion cycle may be especially concerning in patients with circulatory compromise. Soft tissues that are not normally well perfused as a result of peripheral arterial disease, critical limb ischemia, or sickle cell anemia, are generally considered a contraindication to using a tourniquet. Contrary to the concerns surrounding tourniquet-induced ischemia, in a small sample of 18 patients, Mohammadi and others found that burn patients exhibited no difference in metabolic responses compared with non-burn patients when using a tourniquet. Despite the ischemic nature of burn-affected tissues combined with a temporary lack of perfusion induced by the tourniquet. A tourniquet-induced hypoxic state and the concern for resultant soft tissue damage is the reason surgeons adhere to a maximum inflation time and a breathing time when using tourniquets. Most surgeons follow the parameters of not inflating tourniquets for longer than 90 to 120 minutes without allowing time for reperfusion. 
This practice is based on studies that show the depletion of intracellular adenosine triphosphate and phosphate stores after two to three hours of hypoxic state, potentially leading to ischemia. However, there is scant current evidence that defines a safe maximum inflation time and reperfusion, that is, breathing, time. A review of the evidence conducted in 2012 suggests a reperfusion interval at two hours for procedures lasting more than 150 minutes, although the amount of breathing time is unspecified. Based on a retrospective review, Drolet concluded that up to two hours of inflation time, with a 15-minute breathing time for longer periods, were safe for tourniquet pressures approximately 100 millimeters of mercury above systolic blood pressure for upper extremity procedures. Derner and Buchholz recommended a 10-minute breathing time after a maximum cuff time of two hours for lower extremity procedures. Michelson and Perry reported no complications for 446 patients, with calf tourniquet times averaging 49.2 minutes for procedures with a single tourniquet period and 131.1 minutes if a reperfusion interval was implemented. Calcific vascular disease. Wolf Roos and others conducted a more in-depth analysis of tourniquet safety in patients with radiographic evidence of calcific diseases. The results of the analysis suggest an important difference in the risk of complications among patients presenting with medical or intimal arterial disease. Compared with medical-type calcifications, patients with intimal-type calcifications showed an increased risk of delayed healing, although this did not appear to be directly affected by tourniquet use. Two out of 268 patients undergoing total knee arthroplasty experienced arterial thrombus, one of whom had intimal calcific disease. They also showed a 3.2-fold increased risk of minor ischemic complications with intimal calcifications. Another study by Wolf, Roos, and others reports no incidence of tourniquet failure, such as extensive blood loss, in patients with preoperative radiographic evidence of medial artery calcifications. Because the evidence is inconclusive, it remains prudent to conduct a thorough preoperative workup in this patient population. Venous thromboembolism Potentially serious complications associated with proximal tourniquet use include venous thromboembolic events. Although perioperative personnel should take additional precautions when managing patients with venous reflux, an increased risk of deep vein thrombosis, DVT, has not been shown when using tourniquets, except in patients with higher BMIs. Although a causal effect has not been reported, the higher incidence may be related to overweight and obese patients, who often require greater tourniquet pressure because of the excess subcutaneous tissue increasing the LOP. In addition, it is important to remember that advancing age increases the risk of peripheral arterial compromise, such as tissue ischemia and venous thromboembolism, regardless of the potentially additive effects of tourniquets. Conrad and others compared complications in patients undergoing ankle surgery with and without the use of a tourniquet. The only instance of DVT in the study of 54 patients occurred in the tourniquet cohort. In a meta-analysis of foot and ankle surgeries, Smith and Hing reported an increased incidence of DVT when using lower extremity tourniquets. However, like much of the research surrounding tourniquet use, there are contradictory reports and low levels of evidence regarding the risk for DVT. Chen and others found no increased risk of DVT in patients with known vascular disease, such as venous insufficiency with varicose veins, 
despite the length of tourniquet inflation time. Postoperative pain and swelling. An additional consideration when using tourniquets is the potential for increased postoperative pain and swelling. Smith and Hing conducted a systematic review and meta-analysis, although the methodology limited the analysis to four studies within their own limitations. Despite these challenges, postoperative pain and swelling after the fifth postoperative day was significantly greater in the group that used a lower extremity tourniquet than the group that did not use a tourniquet. Pain and swelling typically make for a troublesome recovery. Extended tourniquet time prolongs localized hypoxia and positively correlates with increased postoperative opioid consumption. This increase in consumption is a concern considering the U.S. opioid epidemic that is prominent in the media and has become a focus for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention as a public health crisis. Reducing the effect of the hypoxic event may be possible with preoperative antioxidant therapy and ischemic conditioning. Preoperative endogenous or exogenous antioxidants, such as melatonin or vitamin C, respectively, may provide a reduction in harmful oxygen-free radicals, thereby producing less postoperative tourniquet-related pain, enhancing perioperative analgesia, and decreasing opioid consumption. Although uncommon in practice, ischemic conditioning may have similar benefits by reducing proapoptotic genes and increasing pro-survival genes. An additional consequence of postoperative swelling is an increased likelihood of wound dehiscence that may lead to increased postoperative infection. Conclusion Tourniquets during extremity surgery are generally considered safe for most patients. Identifying the risk factors associated with pneumatic tourniquet use is an important part of the perioperative assessment. Each surgical patient has a variable amount of risk factors that should be considered part of perioperative planning. Clinical judgment regarding appropriate tourniquet use includes consideration of the factors and potential related outcomes, reviewing the indications, contraindications, and patient's health history, performing a comprehensive assessment, and considering the physiological effects of a tourniquet on tissues in terms of skin, local compression, inflation time, and ischemia, can help promote safe tourniquet use. A better understanding of these factors enhances the application of AORN-recommended practice guidelines for pneumatic tourniquet use.